Thank you, team, for leading us in that singing this morning. Appreciate it. Please turn in your Bibles to John chapter 19. We're at that point in the life and ministry of Jesus where we've come to the, well, to the end, to those final hours. And so the Word became flesh and dwelt among us is quickly coming to an end. In chapter 18, Judas... One of the twelve has led a large group, including a Roman cohort and officers from the chief priests. And by that I mean not twenty or thirty, perhaps hundreds, perhaps close to a thousand. He led them to that place in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus would often meet with his disciples. And once there... Jesus was arrested, bound, and delivered to Annas, the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. The Apostle John, in verses 12 through 27 of John chapter 18, contrasts Jesus' interrogation before Annas with Peter's interrogation in the high priest's courtyard. Jesus, surrounded by hostiles, continues to be a faithful truth-teller. Peter, on the other hand, the outspoken representative of the Twelve, lies by denying any kind of association with Jesus. Not once, not twice, but on three separate occasions. And then the rooster crowed. Just as Jesus said it would. Notice the first part of verse 4 of John chapter 18. So Jesus, knowing all things that were coming upon him, went forth. See, God was still in control. There are no surprises here. Jesus knew all things that were all things were proceeding according to his father's plan. And so Jesus entered a series of trials and interrogations, both religious and civil. Six to be precise. Three trials before the religious elite of his day, and three trials before the civil authorities. The Apostle John chooses to focus on his trial or interrogation by Annas, who represents the religious side of the equation. And then he goes to Pilate, who represents the civil authorities. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the synoptic gospels, provide the additional details of Jesus' other trials and interrogations. In verse 24 of chapter 18, We're told that Annas has sent Jesus to Caiaphas, the high priest. And then in verse 28, we read these words. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas into the praetorium. The praetorium, in my footnote in my NASB Bible, says it's it's the governor's official residence in the city of Jerusalem. So at this point, Jesus was moved from the religious into the secular court system. 
where Pilate, the Roman appointed governor, was the governor of the province of Judea. So last week we focused on chapter 18 and verses 28 through to the end of the chapter. And we considered how the one who claimed to be the way, the truth, and the life was subject to an interrogation where truth was so terribly mishandled. We discovered truth being mishandled in at least three ways. The truth was suppressed. The Jewish leaders, you'll remember, suppressed the truth in order to secure a death sentence. Then the truth was dismissed. Pilate dismissed the truth following his interrogation of Jesus. And I can almost hear Jack Nicholson in that movie, A Few Good Men. Remember that? You can't handle the truth from the witness stand. Pilate could not handle the truth, and so he dismissed it. And finally, the truth aborted. Pilate, in the end, aborted the truth by offering a a compromise, an alternative to the Jews. He tried to trade Barabbas for Jesus. That was last week. This morning we want to continue our study of Jesus' appearance before Pilate by focusing in chapter 19 and verses 1 through 16. And so this is part two of A Dead Man Walking. If you are able, please stand with me as I read God's word for us this morning. Beginning at verse 1 of John chapter 19. Pilate then took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And put a purple robe on him. They began to come up to him and say, Hail, King of the Jews! And to give him slaps in the face. Pilate came out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you so that you may know that I find no guilt in him. Jesus then came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. So when the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out saying, Crucify! Crucify! Pilate said to them, Take him yourself and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and by that law he ought to die, because he made himself out to be the Son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid, and entered into the praetorium again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You do not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you, and I have authority to crucify you? Jesus answered, You would would have no authority over me, unless it had been given you from above. For this reason he who delivered me to you has the greater sin. As a result of this, Pilate made efforts to release him. But Jesus cried out, saying, But the Jews cried out, saying, If you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Everyone who makes himself out to be a king opposes Caesar. Therefore, when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out. And he sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the pavement, 
but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation for the Passover. It was about the sixth hour, and he said to the Jews, Behold your king. So they cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he then handed him over to them to be crucified. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I can't read that. Just what a sobering passage of scripture. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. A written revelation of your person, your plans, your purposes, and your perspective. Supernaturally communicated and then preserved down through the ages so that we have these reliable copies in our hands to read and to study. Thank you. Open our eyes and ears so that we can see and hear what you have to say to us through this text. We invite your spirit to illumine our study so that we might understand better who Jesus is, what he has done for us, and who we are. And may the good work that you have begun in the lives of those who are trusting Jesus Christ alone for their salvation continue that we would be becoming more and more like Jesus from the inside out. Then for those who are not yet trusting Jesus Christ alone for their salvation, we would pray that you would draw them to yourself. Even today, may this be their day of salvation. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Once Jesus entered the civil court system, he was asked by the Roman governor of Judea in 1833, are you king of the Jews? The Apostle John uses Pilate to remind us of the true identity of the one on trial here. In fact, you may want to take your pen and highlighter And circle or highlight all references to king or kingdom, beginning here in chapter 18, verse 30, through all the way through to the end of Romans chapter chapter 19, verse 16. You'll find it in verse 36, 37, 39, then into chapter 19, verse 3, verse 12 verse 14, and finally in verse 15. So although Jesus is certainly the victim in this unfolding drama, he is still the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The Apostle John in Revelation chapter 17, verse 14, referring to Jesus as the Lamb, wrote these words. These will wage war against the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them, because He, the Lamb, 
is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The title indicates that he has the power to exercise absolute authority over all creation, your life and mine included. In fact, earlier in this Gospel of John, the Apostle John has referred to Jesus as the eternal word, the bread of life, the light of the world, the good shepherd, the I am, which just happens to be the the name that God gave Israel, referring to himself, which meant that he was not only eternal, no beginning, no end, but he was self-sustaining. Jesus was the resurrection and the life, the true vine, etc. And this is the same Jesus that performed those seven signs, giving convincing proof that he was who he claimed to be. The Christ, the Son of God, God dressed in human flesh. John chapter 2, he changed water into wine at a wedding in Cana of Galilee. It's referred to as the first of the signs. Chapter 4, he healed a royal official's son who was dying in the city of Capernaum. Chapter 5, he healed a paralytic who had been lame for 38 years at the pool of Bethesda. He fed 5,000 people in John chapter 6. More correctly, 5,000 men, not including women and child, so a a crowd of about 20,000 using five small barley loaves and, and two small fish. The same chapter, he later walks out on the Sea of Galilee to join his disciples in a boat that's caught in a huge storm. Healed a man born blind from birth in John chapter 9. And then perhaps the greatest of all, he raises his friend Lazarus from the dead in John chapter 11. After he'd been in the tomb for four days, This is the same Jesus who in John chapter 18 and 19 is found standing before the religious and secular authorities being interrogated on trial. The same one who in our study of John chapter 18 verses 1 to 12 refused to run, refused to hide, And refused to fight, but surrendered to those who arrest him, who would arrest him. A couple of weeks ago, I shared this quote. To submit to ill treatment quietly, when we have no power to resist, is submission that is both graceful and wise. But to suffer voluntarily when we have the power to prevent it, and to suffer for a world of unbelieving, ungodly sinners, enemies of God, unasked and unthanked, this is a line of conduct which surpasses our human 
understanding. Matthew reports that his at Jesus' arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane, after Peter, remember, cut off the high priest's servant ear, Jesus told him to put his sword away, and he goes on to say, Or do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father, and he will, give at one, he will at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels? Remember, a legion of Roman soldiers between five and six thousand. Multiply that by 12. 60,000 angels are at his disposal. But he did not make that appeal to his father. He did not. Instead, we find him enduring the interrogations of both religious and civil authorities. Enduring the unthinkable. Suffering voluntarily when he had the power at any moment to end it all. That, my beloved, is incomprehensible. It defies human understanding. Look at chapter 18, verse 38 again. I've highlighted these phrases in my Bible. Right near the end of the verse. I find no guilt in him. Drop down to chapter 19, verse 4. I find no guilt in him. Verse 6. I find no guilt in him. Verse 16. So he then handed him over to them to be crucified. How in the world do we get from I find no guilt in him. I find no guilt in him. I find no guilt in him to handing him over to be crucified. That's what these verses in John chapter 19 are all about. How in the world? John chapter 19 verses 1 to 16 tell us how the one in whom there was found no guilt was eventually handed over to be crucified. In these verses, I believe that we can identify three initiatives taken by Pilate that proved to be fatal for Jesus. Actually, let's make it four. We identified the first one last week in John chapter 18. Pilate, finding no guilt in Jesus, offered his accusers an alternative. Look at verse 39. I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I release someone for you at Passover. Do you wish then that I release for you the king of the Jews? What did we call that last week? Compromise, right? Pilate was trying to come up with some sort of compromise so that he could avoid being being responsible for putting this one who, in whom he had found no guilt to death. At the same time, he needed to somehow satisfy these raving Jewish religious elites who were calling for his death. But the Jews insisted, they insisted on a death sentence, chose Barabbas. Look at 
Look at verse 40. So they cried out again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Remember last week I conceded that this is probably not the best translation of the Greek word found here in John chapter 18. In fact, more looking at the context, a better word would it might have been terrorist. See, Barabbas was a proven and convicted opponent of Roman rule. And the Jews chose him to be released rather than Jesus. You see, let's be clear. The Jews were no friend of Caesar. Pilate's attempt at a compromise failed. And so will ours if we compromise with the truth. And I'm not talking about that kind of give and take compromise that it's part of every healthy interpersonal relationship. We're speaking of the truth. And if we are not committed to upholding what we believe is true, I find no guilt in him. If we're not committed to that. Regardless of the cost, regardless to whose presence we may be standing or how threatening the circumstances be maybe when it comes to the truth we need to drive a stake in the ground and stand firm no compromise do not compromise let me give you an example here at the rock community church we've identified five ministry non-negotiables number one a high view of scripture number two a high view of god number three a biblical view of man. Number four, a biblical view of the church. And number five, a biblical view of local church leadership. Speaking specifically of a plurality of elders who are biblically qualified. On these we stand. As God enables us, we will not compromise. We must not compromise. I find no guilt in him. He then handed him over to be crucified. The second initiative is found in verses 1 through 5. Notice, Pilate then took Jesus and scourged him, and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and put a purple robe on him. They began to come up to him and say, Hail, King of the Jews! And give him slaps in the face. Pilate came out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you, so that you may know that I find no guilt in him. Jesus then came out, wearing a crown of thorns, a purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold, the Son of Man. There are actually three types or levels of Roman scourging or flogging. The intensity or the damage inflicted increases with each level. The lightest was meant to be a deterrent and was just a whipping. The second was a more severe whipping, whipping and the third was just plain brutal. And these whips were, had strips of leather that 
were embedded with sharp stones and pieces of metal. That final one was reserved for the worst of all criminals, including those who had been sentenced to crucifixion. It seems here in John chapter 19, Jesus received the first or second level of whipping on this occasion. It was following his sentencing that Jesus received the third type of whipping. Pilate's scourging, the placing of the crown of thorns on his head, and you'll find in, from, on coins from this time in history, they would have picture kings with a crown of thorns on his head, and the spikes would look like glory coming out of the king's head. The purple robe, and then Pilate's introduction. Behold the man. Remember, he'd earlier referred to him as the king of the Jews back in John chapter 18, verse 39. Now he's, he's just a man. Pilate was presenting a whipped, literally, dressed up like a king, mocking man, as someone who is absolutely no threat to the Roman Empire. And so what was he... What was he attempting to do with this public display of Jesus? He's displaying Jesus' impotence. He's no threat to Rome. And so it's an appeasement. Pilate was hoping that a beaten, humiliated Jesus would somehow be enough. It would satisfy these Jewish religious leaders. He'd not have to issue the death sentence for a man in whom he had found no guilt. But the response was unwavering. Crucify. Crucify. Pilate's take him and crucify him yourself is just an expression of, expression of frustration and, and disgust with these Jewish religious leaders. It was really an expression of frustration because they'd asked for him to, to judge this man. He had done his examination, given them their judgment, and they wanted nothing to do with it. They refused to accept it. Instead, the Jews seeking a death sentence appealed to their Jewish laws. Look at verse 7. The Jews answered him, we have a law, and by that law he ought to die because he made himself out to be the son of God. I can tell you as a seasoned parent that appeasement never works. We do our children a disservice when we resort to appeasement because we're tired, we're lazy, or we've adopted psychology's newest approach to raising the next generation. Appeasement does not work. And I know parenting is hard work. I know that. And none of us do it perfectly. But I would discourage the strategy of appeasement. Eliminate it from parenting. It doesn't work with bullies either. 
either in the schoolyard or in the adult world either. It may buy us some time, but it never delivers a long-term solution. Appeasement needs to be avoided. I find no guilt in him. He then handed him over to be crucified. The third alternative. Do you notice how that last phrase in the Jewish latest response caught Pilate's attention? He made himself out to be the son of God. The Romans were a suspicious bunch. Not just suspicious, but superstitious. Hearing the Son of God reference would have immediately caught Pilate's attention as he began to think, maybe Jesus is one of these God-men. Remember in Acts chapter 14? Paul and Silas are on their first missionary journey. And this is what is recorded by Luke happened. While they were at Lystra, Paul and Barnabas came upon a man with crippled feet. He'd been that way from birth, so he had never walked. He was sitting and listening as Paul preached. Looking straight at him, Paul realized he had faith to be healed. So Paul called out to him in a loud voice, Stand up! The man jumped to his feet and started walking. When the crowd saw Paul, saw what Paul had done, they shouted in their local dialect, These men are gods! In human form, they decided that Barnabas was the Greek god Zeus and that Paul was Hermes since he was the chief speaker. So Pilate, hearing that Jesus was being accused of being, claiming to be the son of God, had second thoughts about what he had just done. My goodness, have I just scourged a son of God? Verse 18, verse 8, therefore when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. And he entered the praetorium again, and he said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Beloved, that's never a good sign. When Jesus refuses to answer. But Pilate had already dismissed the truth earlier, Right? In John chapter 18, verse 38, when he asked, what is truth? When we think we have it all figured out, when we stop listening, or become unteachable, Jesus doesn't impose truth on us. One day he will come as judge, but for now, he gently calls us, and those who hear his voice respond those who choose to are allowed to walk away remember the rich young ruler in Matthew chapter 19 scary thought notice how Pilate chose to respond to Jesus silence in verse 10 so Pilate said to him you do not speak to me do you not know I have authority to release you and I have authority to crucify you? He's offended by Jesus' silence and tries to intimidate him by reminding him of the authority that he possesses. Fear can do that to a person. We either wilt or we puff ourselves up with some kind of inflated display of self-confidence. Pilate chose the latter. 
and I've called it bravado. Reminds me of the Philistines' boast, that Philistines' boast, just prior to the shepherd boy, David, taking his sling and five smooth stones ends his life. Boasting, bravado. Jesus responded by sticking a pin in Pilate's balloon. Verse 11, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. In other words, from God. Ouch. As a result, Pilate doubles his efforts to secure Jesus' release. But the Jews, seeking a death sentence, employed political pressure. They tightened the screws on Pilate. They suggested that Pilate was no friend of Caesar if he didn't give them exactly what they wanted. Emperors tended to be impatient in Jesus' day with anyone who did not protect their interests or display 100% loyalty. History tells us that the, the Jews had already sent their complaints to Tiberius about Pilate. He may have felt that he was already skating on thin ice. The Jewish leadership played their final trump card. Having a proper view of yourself, who God has made us to be, a combination of strengths and weaknesses, and then operating within those limits is the greatest place we can be. Apart from you, we can do nothing. John chapter 15, verse 5. With you, all things become possible. Philippians 4, 13. You and I, we are a mist that appears for a little while and then disappears. James chapter 4, verse 14. Bravado may work for bullies, but it is a mist that disappears in the end. I find no guilt in him. He then handed him over to be crucified. Initiative number four, look at verse 13. Therefore, when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down in the judgment seat. That's the Bema seat, a place called the pavement. That's a raised platform where, where the governor would make his announcements, his official announcements. But in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation for the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, Behold your king. So they cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he then handed him over to them to be crucified to the Roman soldiers. Notice how he tries to distance himself. Pilate doesn't want anything to do with this crucifixion. The decision that he was issuing, I'm not going to crucify him. You do it. It's a concession. He knows it shouldn't be done. A classic, classic abdication of leadership responsibility. When I arrived at Briarcrest Seminary to lead the seminary as dean of the seminary, 
and also dean of Christian ministries in the college. The seminary was in the midst of preparing for their, I think it's once every five year review from ATS, the accreditation body that allows us to issue degrees. It's a huge deal. I had the opportunity to sit down with one of the examiners early in the process, and they all knew that I was new to the position, so they were very gracious. And I asked him, who just happened to be a dean of another seminary in the U.S., I asked him if he could give me one piece of advice as a new seminary dean, what would it be? And he told a story. He said, um, I've been with the school as a prof for a number of years. They were without a dean and eventually approached me and asked me to assume the, the position. And so he said at the first staff meeting, and remember these were once peers and now they're responsible to him as dean. He said, um, this is what I told them. Right, the very first things at the beginning of the meeting. He said, the seminary before me always before me. Everybody's nodding their head. You before me. The staff before me. And everybody's nodding their head. And then the third one. The seminary before you. And that's where they had trouble. I think that application has application for you and I as well here at the Rock Community Church. I think all of us should say that to one another. The Rock Community Church before me, you before me, but the Rock Community Church collectively, always before you. We will do what is in the best interest of what God is wanting to do in and through this local fellowship. In this episode here in John chapter 19, it was always Pilate before Jesus from beginning to end. And as a result, the Jews seeking a death sentence won the battle but lost the war. They don't know that yet. They just know that they won the battle. One commentator wrote, this was going way beyond merely rejecting Jesus when they said, we have no king but Caesar. They were now repudiating Israel's messianic hope, including the messianic kingdom, and rejecting Yahweh's sovereignty over their nation. Think about that. If that isn't blasphemy by those Jewish religious leaders, I don't know what is. And for what purpose? To ensure they got a death sentence that they desperately wanted. And I find no guilt in him. So he then handed him over to them to be crucified. Beloved, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John paints the picture of Jesus standing on the sidelines, a pawn, really, watching sinful man 
the civil and religious leadership of his day determine his destiny. Knowing all things that were coming upon him. The wages of sin is death. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It was hardly free. It was very expensive. Surely, surely, this was the Christ, the Son of God. Let's pray. Father, thanks for the review of what Jesus was willing to endure to secure our salvation so that we can enjoy a relationship with you that gives us eternal life, not just in quantity, but in quality. Right now, we can enjoy a relationship with you because of what he was willing to endure to pay the price for our sin. We come and we're, as we study this passage, we're reminded again of the cost. And we just overflow with gratitude. We're thankful in Jesus' name. Amen.